0: Hey, welcome to another session of Rock Your Money, Rock Your Life podcast. My name is Rock Thomas. I'm your host. And if you've been following me long enough, you know that I am the founder of M1, the mastermind group. This is a group of individuals that share common values in wanting to become successful, healthy, wealthy, and have rich relationships. But what does it mean to you? Well, it means there's a group of 400 people out there that maybe are achieving or have achieved the result that you crave. They're from all over the world, from all walks of life, but what they share is the practices of success and each and every day sharing their insights and their breakthroughs with each other, encouraging others to do the same thing. You see, you don't have to do it alone. I'm really proud of their success stories and I would love for yours to be the next one. If you are serious about getting out of your own way and creating a life you're excited about, then get on a call with one of my team members at rockthomas.com forward slash VIP call and get started today. And welcome to the podcast,
1: Michael. Thanks so much. Excited to be
0: here. Well, you know, it's a thrill to have you because you're a guy that is not only a speaker, you speak on, on entrepreneurship, on faith. You're a guy that believes that's really important You'd be worthy, creative, and valuable. And in this podcast, I want to talk to people about the importance of how they describe themselves, where that came from, what the genesis of that is, and whether they were able to transform some of the labels. So let's talk uh, for yourself, growing up, did you have labels that were downloaded to you by your parents, your community, your pastor, whatever, and what did you do with them and how did you transform them if you did?
1: Yeah, as a kid, uh, there were a lot of times I didn't feel like I fit in. And I think that the biggest area that was a label for me that I had to overcome was when I was really young, early years, kindergarten, first grade, uh, I was diagnosed as ADHD. And the truth of the matter is, is that when they put me on Ritalin and all the other things, it changed who I was. And I lost myself in that. And I I was super excited because our doctor, my parents, a small community around me said, hey, this isn't right. This isn't what we're going to do. Because the school said you you had to take the medicine. You had to do this. You had to do that. Put me in different classes. And what they learned was that it wasn't ADHD. If they took the time to actually study who I was and learn about me, What the school would have learned early on was that I learned differently than the average student. And so for me, it wasn't a matter of uh, having attention deficit order. It was about I wasn't connecting with how I was being taught. So they were saying, hey, he has ADHD, has learning disabilities, has all this stuff. And really the reality for me was I wasn't being taught in a way that communicated to me. All
0: right, stop the car for a second there because this yeah. is really important. I want people to get this. I want to ask you a, a deeper question. Yeah. How long did that stigma stay with you? How long did you go through that? And what was the, I'm going to use the word damage because I want to be graphic here on your psyche, on your self-esteem.
1: Yeah, you know, for me, uh, we were all, I was off the drugs, Ritalin, all the other stuff, probably within a year or two, probably by second grade. It was probably till fourth grade that I was really excelling and in the classes I should have been in to begin with, the ones that were more accelerated, that the teachers taught in a way that I learned. So, so from that standpoint, it took a good two, three years to really reacclimate into the places that I should have been. When it comes to the stigma personally and the damage, uh, I went to a counselor for a while to work through some of those issues of like, who am I really? What is that identity of my personality, my strengths? and And that helped a lot. That was a massive transformation. But even through high school, it was a process of going, hey, I don't fit into the normal mold, but that's okay. And I've got to fight for my place and who I am and for people to say, you know what, it's okay that he doesn't operate this way. And so even through high school, that was always the fight was to fight for my space that was being accepted in the right place so michael i I changed
0: six or seven schools. I can't remember anymore. and I was wow. like virtually every year in elementary, and I was that kid, and I want to see if you identify with this at all in a different way, maybe, but similar is I walked into the cafeteria with my tray, looking for a spot to sit, feeling like I didn't fit in, and I had this panicky inner narrative of it felt like the whole room was looking at me, going, <laughs> "He's a loser." Uh, who is that weirdo, don't come sit near us. Did you have any of that kind of experience when you felt, when you got labeled, and you're like, okay, now how do I fit in?
1: I I didn't. Uh, I had a really good group of friends, community in in which I grew up with these people. There are still people I know to this day that were close-knit friends. Uh, I wouldn't say that early on I had a lot of friends, like, hey, I was Mr. Popularity by any measure, but I, I felt like I had a place. You know, there was probably three or four or five people that I felt really close to. And then I was a part of Boy Scouts. And so there were other outlets where we could have that creativity. And for me, the learning process was more about experience and less about teaching, being taught. Mm. This is this, this is that. And and instead moving into a, a model that said, let's experience learning together. Uh, and so for me, the peer space wasn't as strong. I would say that that would come a little bit later where uh, in high school, I took a real strong stance of like, I know what I believe and what I stand for as uh, as I w- what I call follower of Christ. A lot of people call that Christianity, but uh, I know what I stand for and that kind of thing. And, and, and in that I had to sacrifice some friends friendships that weren't healthy for me and that they wouldn't accept that that really firm, you know, I'm not going to go out and just, be stupid in some of the things I do, because it doesn't align up with the morality, with the, the ethics, the character that I believe that my faith informs me with. So I think when it comes to that aspect of feeling a little bit outside, uh, I, I would say that that came a little bit later, probably around my sophomore year of high school. What's funny, though, is looking back now, uh, I, I think I was a little bit of a chameleon along the way, and I fit in more than I thought I did. And I look at the friendships and I bumped into a guy a couple of weeks ago and he said, Hey, you remember me? And I knew his face and I was like searching for the name. He's like, Mike, it's me, blah, 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 whoever it was. And what was amazing is that their perception of me was different than my perception of me. And so I think it's easy for us uh, when we feel like we're different from the status quo. And let's be honest, entrepreneurs, creatives, we mostly feel like fringe people and uh, and what was interesting to me is that I think a lot of people don't view it the same way that we view it. And so we put a self perception, a filter of who accepts us and who wants to be around us that isn't really true. And that really shocked me. You know, I'm, I had the 20th anniversary, our 20th uh, high school reunion. Uh, I missed it because I was out of town, but it just came up last week. And to still be bumping into people who I haven't seen for 20 years. And for them to say stuff like that, it changes your perspective even now on like yeah. maybe who I thought I was and how I fe- felt, felt like I fit in wasn't real uh, in so and didn't meet the reality.
0: How much of your work as a speaker, as a trainer, as a coach, as a, as a guide, as a mentor, is helping other people look at life from a new perspective, being passionately curious, being open, being available because there's constructs we grow up with that sometimes later we go, Oh my God, I was looking at life this way. (laughs) And there could have been a better way.
1: Does that make sense? Yeah. I'll say two things. One for me, one of my favorite words is presupposition and that's basically how you view the world based on your circumstances. All of us filter life through that. We have a bias. We are bent mm. in specific ways, and and there is this uh, popular belief in society that none of us are biased, that our opinion matters, that our truth is truth, and the reality is, is that's not real, and it's okay to have bias uh, to an extent. I mean, if you're out like being a part of the KKK and doing stupid stuff, that's biased to the nth degree that's not healthy or good, and so we all have bias. We all have bias perspective on our lives and the lives around us based on experience. That's how we filter family. That's how we filter friends. That's how we filter jobs. And so first off we have to understand bias and that we are biased and some of our biases are bad and some of them are good and just be honest and transparent with that and work through that. The second thing I would say to that is uh, yeah, a lot of what we do at Jumble think a lot of things I do personally uh, are about entrepreneurship. They're about ideas and idea formation and innovation and all of those things. But I say that identity is the the foundation for building all of that. Uh, You look at strength finders. It talks about understanding Mm -hmm. your core abilities and then flourishing in that wall street journal just put out an article this week that was talking about, we need to do less about trying to fit people into curriculums and teach them what we think that they need to succeed and help them figure out who they are. And for me, uh, entrepreneurship starts with identity. If you don't understand yourself, you're not going to succeed in business. Uh, and, and, and success in that case, I'm defining as fulfillment, joy, uh, really being able to tap into the best of yourself and apply it to what you do. You make make a lot of money, but that doesn't for most people actually translate into joy and significance because significance and joy doesn't come from success of money. That helps sustain your lifestyle, but that is a vastly different thing than joy and fulfillment. Fulfillment and joy come from a completely different place. And so for me, when I'm working with people who are saying, I have an idea, I have a dream, I have a a thing I want to do, I always say, let's back up and look at your identity because that's the foundation that gets you through everything in life. And if we're not starting... You know, Simon Sinek says, start with why, which I think is a a great question to ask. And Steve Olsher says, uh, what's your what? That's a great question to ask. But if you don't understand who you are, none of that, none of that other stuff matters. It has no value.
0: What question do you ask to discover who you are? Because a lot of people have trouble figuring that out.
1: Well, I don't think it's so much of a question. I think it's so much more of an intentional lifestyle, which is to get quiet with yourself which let's be honest, most of us don't want to do it because that is a painful place. And you have to work through the pain. You have to work through the questions. If you were rejected as a child, maybe from your parents or from your peers, or, or you didn't succeed the way that somebody expected you to, whether it's yourself or others, you have to process through that because those will all be, uh, they will be millstones around your neck to hold you down from the potential that you have. And so I think that it starts not with a question, but it starts with a, a quietness and a reflection and a place of, of introspection. We are so busy trying to say why everyone else is wrong and why we need everyone else to get on board with us that we're not taking the time to get quiet with ourselves and really understand that's not the world around us that needs to change, it's us. Because if we don't change, our impact is going to be shallow. And so getting quiet is the first step. I think the second question is, uh, what am I good at? What are my natural born abilities? Do people love to listen to me speak? Maybe you're a great storyteller and then that helps you become an influencer. Or maybe you are really crafty with your hands and you can build things and you can invent a new space. Or maybe you can see things from a perspective of pain or, or uh, trouble and you can come in and help businesses innovate in a space and see these are the blind spots that you're missing. Or maybe you just like numbers, and I don't understand that one, Uh, and you're good at math, and you love all those things, and you love working with accounting and helping businesses or people with finances, and you go and work in that space. So figuring out your abilities. So get quiet, figure out your strengths and your weaknesses. And I think the third thing is, is put people around you that can call out the best of you. Many of us are surrounded by people who want to beat us down to make themselves look better or to make themselves feel better. And they do it in ways that aren't obvious. Mm -hmm. And so what we need are people that believe in us more than we believe in ourselves, who are willing to say the hard things like, dude, you need to step up to the plate and really show up here because you're not really engaging to the fullness of what you could do. And I think that those kind of things set you up for the successes to find identity. So get quiet with yourself, figure out your strengths and abilities, Uh, get your mentors and peers around you. I think the last thing is really stepping back and saying, what do I like and what do I hate? And often we are doing things that we hate because we feel we're obligated to that. I don't think that's what we're created to do. I think we're created to find joy. So either we need to change our perspective and find joy in what we're doing, not false joy to... Make it okay, but really find that place. Or we need to change. And change is scary. It's uh, filled with risk in the unknown, and we don't want to do that. So instead, we just accept the status quo and we fill. The void of joy and fulfillment with maybe I can get the new toy I want. Maybe I can get the best house that I want. Maybe I can uh, move up in my career. And that shows that I'm successful because now I'm the vice president in my business over this instead of just the accountant. And so we are looking for fulfillment again in the wrong places. And so if it's not aligning up with your personal gifts and talents and personality, and you don't love it, uh, that doesn't mean you don't have things about your job or your entrepreneurial journey that you hate. I'm in a place right now. There are places that I'm trying to shift and it takes a while to do that. And so there are pain in that process, but if you're every day going, I don't want to wake up and go into my job, it's probably not the right place.
0: Whoa, that was a lot. I wrote a bunch of notes. I want to unpack some of that for people because I don't want them to gloss over that. Michael, thank you so much. Love the get quiet. I think that for those of you that have practices in the morning or the evening, I want to reiterate that I think it's really good to do that in the morning and also take an audit at the end of the day with your journal and take some notes. So I love that. The I second would say
1: one thing with that mm-hmm. is that's really good. Uh, and I think that's really good to do those things. I, I do it. Uh, I would go one step further and say, not only should you do that, but at least once, maybe twice a year, you should take a couple of days and completely detach. Untethering is what it's called, untethered from your technology. And if you don't have the finances, that could be just sitting at home with some good books, uh, processing the ideas, journaling. Uh, if you have some money, that could be going to a cabin, going for walks and that kind of thing. And so that's going to look different for every person. But uh, I think it's good to actually take a little bit of time uh, that's a little bit bigger than that sometimes too. So I love it. And, you know, take a weekend or take a week to do that.
0: Excellent. Excellent suggestion. You've reminded me of something I'm going to include in the show notes, which is um, an, an assessment you can take called uh, sacred gifts. Mm-hmm. And essentially it's what you talked about in your second point, which is, you know, whatever lights you up, you're good with numbers There's a belief that there's about uh, 24 gifts and we get four to six of them at birth. And, you know, it's really up to us to discover what those are. Some people are good with their hands and other people are not. Some people are good with administration. Like for instance, I am not, I lose papers. (laughs) So I surround myself with people that have that gift so they can shine and I can release myself from it. So I'll include that in the show notes. Then I also like what you said about, you know, surround yourself with really successful people. It's very common. We say that. But what I liked what you said is the person who's going to have the courage to challenge you. Mm -hmm. And I think we can sometimes default to being around the people that we love and that love us and tell us what we want to hear versus the person who's going to give us the tough love that you suggested, Michael, which I think is essential to growing. You know, you need a crosswind every once in a while to strengthen your roots. Yeah. So that's really great. And then the interesting thing is um, you talked about, you know, going for your joy, but then maybe getting distracted by some position of significance, like becoming the vice president or something and getting distracted by material toys and accomplishments versus going back to that, understanding your gifts, leaning into them and believing that you can make a, a living in the lifestyle from the things that truly light you up. So that was a lot that you dropped on us. Thank you very much. Very, very powerful stuff. Um, Let's talk a little bit about your goal setting mechanism because we both share some strategies around that. Yeah, I'm a big, big believer that there are steps to it. There's better ways to access the resources within ourselves. Tell us what you do for goal setting.
1: Yeah, so I do a couple things. And uh, if you're seeing video format, you'll see this book here. This is uh, I. I call it to my, uh, what do I call it? It's up here. Uh, I call it. Raft. My goals list. (laughs) Yeah. That's what I call it. I call it the bucket list, although it's a lot of like a bucket list, but, um, there are things that I want to accomplish, uh, things that are important to me for some kind of reason, whether personal or that kind of thing. So that's one place I start. Another place I start is that for me, what I've found is that often we set very big goals, very big dreams, very big ideas, and because of that, we don't try to shoot for it. I created a little method I call the Dreamer's Guide to Micro-Experiments. And, and it's five steps to say, let's not try for the big innovation. Let's not ch- try for the big uh, dream. Let's not try for all of, um, all of it at once. Let's try small things. And what the small little steps allow you to do, it's five steps. It's there to allow you to make small pivots instead of big pivots and small changes over a course of time, make the end goal uh, much, more uh, much more. So you start out by forming a question or a goal. What do you want to do? Then you set a time limit. And I always recommend make this short, maybe a day, maybe an hour, maybe a weekend, a week, maybe a month. Six months is where I cap it. Cause if it's longer than six months, it's not a micro goal. It's a big goal. Then run your experiment, do all the things in that time period to see if you can get from point A to point C, uh, stop and reflect. That's where you actually look ab- about what you love, what you hate, Uh, what worked, what what didn't work. uh, And you really take that process of saying, well, what's the next step towards that goal? And then you rinse and repeat and you do that process again. And so it's like the scientific process applied to entrepreneurship or to goal setting and uh, taking those five steps and making it very simple to say, you don't have to, if you want to be Elon Musk, you don't have to build Tesla point, you know, a uh, finished product at, at stage one you you build a prototype and before you bro- build a prototype you build a model and before you build a model you might do sketches and so your micro experiment is like this weekend i'm going to sketch up some concepts on how we can use electric power to power a car they don't go right into the production line that that would be a silly step for that idea that dream that goal that he had instead he may build a micro step and and that micro step may have not even built uh, to do the sketches it may have been like i'm gonna hire an engineer. Okay. That's a micro experiment. And so you learn along the way, and then your dream and idea and the goal may evolve as you go through that process. Uh, but we just call that the dreamers guide to micro experiments. And, and, you know, it makes it fun because often we get buried in the vastness of the idea, the unknown of the idea, the financing, like how are we going to pay for the idea or dream or goal we're trying to do. And so let's, let's make it personal. So let's say you want to go to Hawaii. Well, what's the first step? You don't jump on a plane and go, First step is like maybe I want to research it. Which island in Hawaii do I want to go? Okay, I want to go to the Big Island because it's big and I like big. Uh, and so you go. Well, what is it? I want to go see a volcano and I want to see that. And then you start planning and you start. So those micro experiments give you the time. You you may not have the money to get there today, but you're saving towards it. Now you're learning about it. You're getting more excited and it's driving you to that goal. And then step two maybe. Okay, I'm going to talk to other people that have been there, like a tour guide or something like that, and say, hey, where are the places I need to go? What's the uncharted stuff? What's the stuff that you're not going to find on the internet or that people aren't going to tell you? And then your third step might be, okay, well, we're saving the money. Now we're going to book our tickets. And so that's your next step. And then you're going to get on the plane. And that's a micro experiment in that you're hoping the plane gets there. Most of the time it does. Hopefully it's not an experiment. <laughs> no, it's not an experiment. Uh, at least by Boeing, hopefully it's not an experiment. <laughs> and so that process can be applied, whether it's a personal dream or a goal that you have or a big goal. Let's say you want to start a business and you want to create the best widget ever. Well, step one, number one might not be going to uh, China and having it all produced and made. Step number one might be trial and error to get it right until you send it over to them. And so breaking it down into smaller steps make big ideas much more tangible.
0: So I think that's what I hear you saying is chunk it down, uh, don't get overwhelmed, you don't have to be great to start, you got to start to be great, Mm -hmm. eat the elephant one bite at a time, all those pieces, instead of looking at the top of Mount Everest and going, oh my god, I could never make it there, something like that.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you're going to climb Everest, you don't start with Everest, that's not the first mountain you've climbed. Uh, you may have done Mount Lassen or Shasta as your first mountain in Northern California. Micro experiments. Yeah. And you go, Hey, I like this. This is fun. Or you learn, Hey, I went up to Lassen. I don't like the fact that I can't breathe real well. (laughs) Uh, And then you figure out, is that still a goal or value that you want to accomplish? Right. So
0: I like it. I like it a lot. Dream giver. Yeah. Talk to us
1: about that. Yeah. It's a great book. By Bruce Wilkinson. It is all about a guy who felt like he had, he lived in a little community of nobodies, and he felt like he was a somebody. And it's like The Hero's Journey, uh, which is another allegory uh, by Joseph Campbell. And so I like it because uh, it's a little bit more like what you'd find from C.S. Lewis or Token or something like that. And uh, it walks you through his journey of going through the different phases of chasing a dream, chasing an idea, finding a goal. And really in, in, in that, it was about finding himself. And it's not so much about the outcome of the goal or the dream as, as it, was, it was a journey of discovery. And what's interesting about that book, and I'm going to give away the ending, I think it's really valuable, is that we see end game goals. They call it the akhirit in the Hebrew, which is the end of our actions, and there is an end of our actions that we're all going to get to, but that's not the end of our journey. And many of us think when I reach having a million dollars in the bank, when I reach a certain position in a job, when I reach going to a certain expedition and doing a certain activity, when I am an NFL football player, when I, and then they get there and they're like, well, what next? And the, 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 the journey of a hero isn't about the specific one-off journey. It's about a lifestyle. And many of us achieve maybe greatness or success, and then we go, then what? And our identity has gone. And, and that is a great marker of knowing if you know who you are. If you get to the top of your game and you're still like, I know who I am, then you knew your identity from day one. And it evolved and it grew and it became stronger. And I think that's the part of the dream giver that a lot of people miss is that it's about a lifestyle of saying, once you step into that, you can become a nobody again. And and it's not about notoriety or fame. It's about your identity, going from not knowing your identity to knowing your uh, identity. And you don't get to a place where you said, I've uh, arrived with identity. You're always evolving. You're always growing. You're always changing. So so you've got to keep on that journey. And that's what it's about. And I love that book. I love that. So
0: on that note, the strongest force in human nature is this desire for us to remain consistent with how we describe ourselves. You know, we're either a smoker or a non-smoker. We're a morning person or a non morning person. And if somebody asks you, Do you, you know, you want to come play tennis, you go, oh no, I'm not a tennis player. Mm-hmm. We're very congruent with how we see ourselves. And then we give ourselves guilt when we behave outside of our identity. You know, like, you know, I'm not a smoker, but then I was out camping that weekend and all my friends were smoking and I thought, let me take a puff. And then we're like, ah, the next morning, like, what did I do? How would you say is the best way to expand your identity for those people that are going to grow and become the best version of themselves?
1: Yeah. Well, if something's not unmoral, if something is not unethical, if something isn't like stupid, dangerous, like, Hey, I'm going to go cliff diving onto um, a cliff. Well, you probably don't want to do that from a 1,000 feet and go, hey, I'm going to jump on another cliff. It's going to kill you. (laughs) Uh, That's not a wise thing, but you may go, hey, I'm going to go cliff diving. I'm going to go off of 10 feet into water. Okay, well, you change what you're doing, and and it's the same thing applied to a different role. So I have a rule that if it's not – against my my uh ethics my belief statement uh which is my core beliefs of faith if it's not against if it's not going to hurt somebody and if it's not unethical you know it has to be immoral yeah kind of criteria um i'm going to go take the experience i had the experience uh we had a guest on our podcast a couple a week ago uh which he uh does dinosaur digs and finds fossils I've never done that before. I could say, hey, I just want to interview you. But then he said, hey, do you want to come out? And it's like, well, yeah, I don't know what it's like. I've never experienced that. Yeah, I'll go. So just because I had never dug for dinosaur bones before doesn't mean that I may like it or loathe it. I don't know until I do it. So like your tennis uh, example, hey, you want to go play tennis? Well, I'm not a tennis player. Well, how do you know that you don't love tennis and you just never done it? So until you step into that, you're not going to know. So I think there's core identity that doesn't really change. Uh, and and there's certainty in that. Like, I'm never going to be a smoker. It's just not going to happen. That's a core identity thing. And so so there are certain things of identity that aren't going to change. But there's a lot of things that can evolve and grow based on experience.
0: Well, I'm going to mess with you now. If a new study came out and said that, you know, smoking – this kind of cigarette was going to increase your memory and extend your life by 20 years, you would, you know, this is all hypothetical. Uh-huh. You would then at least entertain that
1: information and look at it. Would you not? I'd look at the information. I don't think it would change my outtake on that. I'd probably be content with where I'm at in that specific case. Okay, so uh, like, like, I'll give like, you- Let me give you another example. Sure. People love beer. Yes. I have nothing wrong with beer. I hate the taste of it. I've tried different kinds of beer. Yeah. I'm just not going to drink beer. Yeah. And it's not it, it, its not going to change because someone goes, well, this is a nitro brew. And uh, it does X, Y, and Z. And so it's different, and you should try it. At some point, I'm going to smell it, and I'm going to look at it and go, that's eh, just not for me. And so, yeah. There's lots of things,
0: don't you find, though, that come? Like it's... We, we used to all drink milk. Now it's almond milk and it's cashew milk and it's soy milk. And then the new report comes out and soya milk gives you estrogen. And now you shouldn't drink soy milk. <laughs> so we're, we, we have all these influences and information that can shift a little bit our identity, right? Coffee's good for you. It's not good for you. One glass of red wine's good for you. It's not good for you. So in the process, information creates the opportunity for a new decision. If you're open, does that make sense?
1: I think so. But I think that at the core, your identity probably hasn't changed much in that. Uh, Because those are outliers. Those are likes, dislikes. Those are more. And I don't consider that necessarily identity.
0: Okay, I'll give you a more concrete example. I grew up on a farm. I worked hard for 20 years. And I met a gentleman who said, you're working hard. I love your work ethic. But there's room for you to make some shifts and work more intelligently. Yeah. And And I went, well, what does that look like? And then he started to guide me to not just work with my hands and with my back, but to work more with my mind and with my mouth. And yeah. I became a salesperson and I went on to have a completely different career to your point that you mentioned before, is that I didn't even know existed. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I change and I transform my identity from working hard to working smart, from being shy and introverted and working with goats and two by fours to working <laughs> with people and paper. Yeah. And I became financially in a completely different arena than I could have possibly working with my hands. How about that one for an example?
1: Yeah. Yeah. But I would still say your core beliefs didn't change in that. Like who you were as a person. You were still kind. You were still generous. Those kind of things didn't change. So it's an outward expression. So I, I guess it comes back to how how do we define identity? Right. Uh, and and that's a hard question to answer because for each person. I just think, it, I think it's very
0: easy. The words that follow, I am. However yeah. you say I am to my, like you say I am kind. There was a period of time I wasn't that kind. Yeah. I was a dick because <laughs> I was and I still am probably to some people. But, you know. <laughs> I just was brought up in an environment that was, you know, I got kicked by a horse. My arm was broken. My father wouldn't take me to the hospital. I learned to tolerate circumstances that wasn't usual. So then when I went out there and played football with somebody and ran them over and they said, hey, I was like, (laughs) suck it up. So it's not because I wanted to be a dick. It's because that's what I was experiencing. But later on, when I looked at it from a perspective of feedback from the world, I was like, People keep on telling me I'm too intense. Maybe I need to look at how I'm showing up because yeah. I, I'm entering into a different arena. So I start to shift my identity. I've had to work on my empathy, yeah. Michael. I wasn't yeah. very empathetic. I've learned to develop that side and it's actually a beautiful side, but it's been work for me versus most people have to work on being tougher.
1: Yeah. 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 And I think that identity does evolve and change and uh, grow. So I completely agree with that.
0: Yeah. And I think that community and connection is what affects it more than anything else. And it could be your church. It could be your chess club. It could be your um, bike riding club. You get part of that community. We all want to belong. And all of a sudden somebody says, Hey, you know, when you wear these shoes and when you cycle early in the morning before the heat, you're going to get a better ride. We do slight mountains and it'll help you perform better on the long run. And you start to shift your identity. I would, you know, I'm not a morning person. And you Neither start <laughs> to, <laughs> and you start to be able to find what I think is the journey, the hero's journey, is the parts of yourself that you didn't know existed.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's the thing that I think most people really struggle with is the fear of unknowing themselves. Yeah. Like, and what I mean by that, because that sounds kind of weird, is that, that what if I am this other person? And And
0: what if I am not this thing that I'm being because it pleased people when I, I was quiet and I didn't say anything, but I actually want to say stuff.
1: Yeah. And I think that that's the funny thing about identity because like in your example that you shared, like, Hey, maybe I experienced this and I realized that I can be empathetic based on the feedback of the world and all of that. You get to a point of identity where you question, is this true identity? Like, is this at the core who I am, or is this a masked identity for perception how you are um, talking? And and I think that that's the problem is that most of us and that's why I was kind of leery about answering that question the way that I did is because I think so many people buy into well this is who I am and what they're really living is a false identity. Yes, and, that's and, my whole and point. That that's the problem is that that they accept it and they go well I I should like coffee because that's what the world tells me I should like and right and and they go but I like tea and but that doesn't fit in because they don't have a tea bar at my my work so I just go get the coffee and that kind of thing and 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 I think that that's a bad example I think that if we look at a really good example of of identity we look at it and we say what about the person who's doing that nine to five that they hate and that they know that uh, maybe it was a parent that positioned them there maybe it was uh, that guidance counselor I think that there are a lot of well-intended people that have directed people into very dangerous places
0: or maybe they tried to open up a business it didn't work Mm -hmm. They, their amygdala took charge of the fear-based part of their mind. And they said, you're going to put food on the table for two young children and you better not screw up. So stick with this job that makes you $48,000 a year. Damn it. Don't take a chance. And they're surrounded by a community and connection of other people that echo that. And now after five or seven years doing a job they hate as an accountant or whatever it is, they're sitting there going, what is my life about? Who am I?
1: Yes, I, I love the world of education. I love learning. Learning is something I, I value. I hate the systems of education in America. Yes, that's they, why we're having this conversation. Yeah. And and that's the thing is like people are buying into like hey I've got to go get the career that pays X amount of dollars. I a great example again that paleontologist that I went out and did a dig for. Uh, he didn't want to go get. Uh, a certain degree and that kind of thing, which hindered him from working in academic circles. So he figured another way to turn his passion, his dreams and his ideas into a business. And now that, uh, that funds him. And he's out in the field teaching everyday people the things that he would be teaching in a university, giving young kids an experience to say, maybe paleontology is for you, maybe it's not, but now you've experienced it. So he's teaching it. He's out in the field every day where his, Uh, his contemporaries in the educational sphere are sitting in a classroom and they get one to two weeks out in the field every year. So here's a guy who's been able to go do the things he wants. And he's figured out a system that works for him that goes counter to what the convention is. And he's built a business around it. That's successful. And, and the reason that it works for him is because he found what worked for him. And I think that that's the problem is everyone's saying, Hey, you got to go get the four year degree. Well, Google, Apple, big corporations are saying these four-year degrees they're they're Showing creativity washing yeah creativity they're teaching bad practices people aren't being you know if you don't know that you're not supposed to do something then you're going to go do something. That's why as a web developer for years, we were hired to do stuff because we take projects on that. We were too dumb to say no to big projects, (laughs) projects like writing encryption tools and languages. We didn't know any better that that was really hard stuff to do. We just figured, well, we'll figure out a way to do it. And so we did. And that's the thing is that because we didn't know better, we could find a better solution. Yes. And, And so often we're hindering ourselves in our careers and our passions and our hobbies and our joys by the fact that we're not stepping into saying a contrarian kind of view to say well screw the way that's supposed to be done maybe i can find a different way maybe i can find a better way uh and maybe i can create a new path blaze a new tail. you you, you want to be steve jobs well, you got to take the risk of steve jobs you want to be bill gates you've got to say well maybe mainframes aren't the solution anymore and go take a different trail and and all of these people stood out because they, maybe they didn't know better, or maybe they saw a better way, and they said, screw you, to the world, and said, we're going to go this path.
0: It's really good stuff. Really good stuff, Michael. Appreciate it. Uh, in, you know, I run a real estate office, and we help people get on the phones and call people. Yeah. And people are nervous, and they don't like rejection, so they call, and they're like, hi, do you want to sell your house? Uh, no, okay, bye. And we had this one guy come in, uh, kind of Italian guy. He goes, hey, uh, you want to sell your house or a what? And the person goes, what? He goes, okay, coming over. <laughs> because he didn't know what he was doing. He just yeah. assumed everybody wanted to do business with him. And it's, it's a little bit, you know a, a, you know, a bit of a made up story. But the fact of the matter is, is that the knowledge hinders people. And I love what you said about this openness. You didn't know, so you became creative. And I want to end the call on that a little bit. Is Tell us a little bit about who you are today. Just choose a few words. Um, of how you've evolved because you've done a lot of things and,
1: you know, who do you feel you are today in your identity? Yeah. First off, I want to go back to the beginning. We talked about my experience as a kindergartner, first grader and, and the drugs that they put me on and all of that stuff. That was one of the greatest gifts I could have ever gotten. I could have looked at that as being a place of being a victim, which we're good in our society of creating victims. Yes. But instead it taught me a lot about myself how do I learn? How do I experience? So today where I am is uh, in a very weird place. Uh, When it comes to the vocation, I have one foot in a future that I want to create and one foot in the past that I no longer want to be a part of. And the past is being a web developer and designer. Loved doing it for years. And there was a grace for doing it for about 10 years. And now what I want to do is go help people figure out who they are and what they do. And so now I'm launching into the podcast, and uh, we've been doing that for three years. So I'm a podcaster, and we have a radio show now, uh, which is crazy. Uh, when I started the podcast, I never thought somebody would want, want to syndicate the radio show. And it's all about um, helping others. I, you know, I, I pastored for eight years in Northern California. And now what I, I, I look at what I do is I, I pastor people how to figure out what they're created to do. Whether that's a business, whether that's uh, relationships, whether that's a, 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 an entrepreneurial endeavor or spirit that they have, I'm pastoring people in the world to find out who they are. And that, my faith informs that for me, that I was, I, I'm a, a believer that there's a God that created me, and if I'm created for something, everyone else around me is created for something. And it's funny when I talk to atheists or when I talk to Christians or when I talk to Hindus, uh, when people find that core identity, they all say the same thing. I feel like I'm doing what I'm created to do, whether they believe in a God or not. And so for me, where I'm at right now, I, in the business world, want to pastor other peoples to figure, people to figure out what that is for them and help them get there. And when it comes to the personal life, we're creating a lifestyle for our family where we uh, are available for our kids. So, we're not working nine to fives. My wife works a job where she can work from home and create her own schedule every week and do whatever she wants when it comes to the hours she works. I run my business and I'm home and accessible for my kids. And, and we want to create a life where we give them everything available, not stuff, not things, but proximity to the experiences, to the people, to us, that they need to be the fullness of who they're created to be and to help them get to there and and encourage those dreams and ideas. So who am I? Uh, Yeah, I'm that entrepreneur. I'm helping other entrepreneurs. I'm a father. I'm a husband. And in that identity, I would boil it down to this one thing. I'm a person who's intentional about creating the lifestyle I want to live, not letting others tell me what it should look like, but really figuring out, the lifestyle that's right for me, right for my family and right for the peers and friends around me and saying, that's who I want to be. That's where I want to create. Instead of accepting the status quo, uh, right now we're in a weird place because uh, our lease ran out. We don't have a house right now. We're just traveling and visiting friends and family around the country. So every day looks different for us, but that's the lifestyle that we've chosen for this season. And in a couple of weeks, we're going to go back to the Northeast and Maybe end up in New York City, maybe end in Philadelphia or Pennsylvania, somewhere else uh, in the state. We don't know where that's going to be. But right now, our goal is to create the lifestyle we want to live for our family, for for the people around us, and to help them encounter the things that they were created to do. So that's who I am.
0: Amazing. I love it. I love it. Very, very flexible and open. Michael Woodward, where can people get hold of you?
1: Yeah. Head on over to jumblethink.com. And uh, you can check out everything we've got going on there. There's a contact form. But if you just want to drop me an email, mike at jumblethink.com. Yeah, it comes to me. I have no personal assistant checking my emails or anything. So I'll, I'll respond. You can connect with me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, wherever. All those links are on jumblethink.com. But I'd love to connect with anyone watching, listening, wherever you're consuming this. Uh, I love connecting with people and dreaming together because you mentioned it earlier. Community is so critical. And... Uh, I just I hope people get into a community that helps them flourish into their identity, whether uh, that's connecting more with you, which I'd highly recommend or, or just continuing to get around more and more people like us that uh, want to see people find that fullness of life. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much. I want to remind the listeners that the words that follow, I am, follow you. Describe yourself with an intention and purpose like Michael does. And I think that you'll find yourself being more fulfilled and happier and every day being a little bit fuller. The words that follow, I am, follow you. I encourage that you be passionately curious. It's one of my favorite phrases because that brings youth. It brings excitement. It brings openness. It brings a sense of newness to every day. So Michael, thanks for being on the show today. I really, really appreciate it. You are a wealth of knowledge and you are a very beautiful spirit. So thanks again. Thank you. So that's it for today's episode of rock your money, rock your life, head on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show. One lucky listener every single week who posts a review on iTunes will win a chance in the grand prize drawing to be rocks, private VIP mastermind guest. Then head on over to rockyourmoneyrockyourlife.com and pick up a copy of Rock's free gift so you too can reach your financial potential, enjoy extraordinary success, and live the life you've imagined. Join us on the next episode.